0: Blog Talk
1: Radio. Good morning, animal advocates, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewlett, and as always, I want to thank you for starting your Sunday morning with us. The primary focus of the Pet Place is to promote and support people and organizations that help homeless, abused, and neglected animals. And this morning, we'll be doing just that. Our first guest today founded a wonderful organization called the Community Animal Network. She's a passionate person who works tirelessly to help homeless pets everywhere. Then, after our halftime break, Mary Ann Dell will be discussing the importance of training dogs with kindness rather than some harsh and abusive techniques that so many trainers have advocated in the past. So don't touch that dial. All of these important topics are coming right up here on the Pet Place Radio Show on Retro 1260. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on Retro 1260. I'm Murray Hewlett, and it's my pleasure to welcome back to the program Deanna Fass-Martin from the Community Animal Network. Welcome back, Deanna.
0: Thank you, Murray.
1: Well, last week you were telling me a story about an adoption case where a young college student wanted to adopt one of your kitties And you felt it might not be an appropriate home because when you're in college you have lots of responsibilities just taking care of your studies and you aren't necessarily going to be there for a pet who needs you a lot more than what a college student is able to provide. And then you went on to tell me about how her mother kind of interceded for her daughter. And let's have you recap and pick up from there.
0: Well, the mother did come back about two hours later after we had declined the uh, young college student for uh, as a pet parent. And her mother came and substantiated all the um, documents. Everything was fine. She qualified. And she assured us the kitties, kittens, two kittens, were going to live at her house with her older cat which we suspected in the beginning, Marie, that she was not telling the truth, but she did satisfy everything, and we thought that the animals would be protected by the mother then if anything happened.
1: So, so. she was just doing this so her daughter could have her, her kittens after yes. all. And and her, did her daughter live in a dorm?
0: No, an apartment.
1: Okay. Yeah. But she was busy with the college party life and studying and everything else.
0: Well, we don't know what she was doing, but we got, we got the call um, about five months later. That um, I guess three months later, that the kittens were at the uh, animal shelter in Arizona.
1: Oh and man! So she had given up the kitties. Yeah, her because mom actually to too, big of a too much
0: money and too too much time, and she was of course young people go out and they're gone in class, and you know kittens can be destructive as well if they're left alone and unmanaged.
1: So rather than taking your advice and adopting later when she was in a better place in her life, she went ahead and adopted them, and then gave them up as he figured would probably be the case.
0: Yes, and because each one of our animals, like I said, with our adoption fee of $300 per kitten which we already went over, is really a value when you look at all the costs that a rec- traditional veterinarian would have and the microchip implant as well as the registration fee for the chip, which is 1950. and that is the protection for the animal. So mm-hmm. we were called when those kittens were on death row. And it because sure they
1: had the microchips, and, yes. and you guys were listed in the microchip information. Yes,
0: yes we are.
1: Register. I love microchips. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: very controversial, however, but these animals, were we, we did get notified, and one of them just was considered feral-like, and that wasn't like one of our kittens, but I guess because of the handling of the animals at the shelter, many of them can become extremely frightened.
1: Oh, absolutely. I know that some of the sweetest cats in the world will seem like they're feral under uh, the conditions at animal shelters because it's a scary place for a cat with yes. strange cats all around, strange smells, yes. dogs barking in the distance, people coming and going, cages getting cleaned while the kitties are in them. It's it's not pleasant. And unless you have a real mellow, happy-go-lucky cat, a kitty is going to seem like it's feral. And that's, I think that's why most people say that most cats in shelters are feral, which I disagree with. Um, but, you know, I interrupted, so let me get you back to on your oh, story. Oh, no, no, no. I
0: agree with you. I agree with you. It's because they're frightened. Mm-hmm. And uh, these particular cats I called the original rescuer and caregiver, as I shared with you in the earlier show, that when someone finds animals or, you know, rescues them or has to give them up and they're their pets, we will help them. Mm-hmm. So... um, so the rescue, actual rescuer we called, and they and the daughter and her her um, it was a mother daughter and son team, whole family took care of these kittens. And so Prior they drove to
1: them being placed with yes, the college before. Okay. So
0: we call, I notified them, and they drove out to um, Arizona to pick up the kittens, and we donated $100 towards their gasoline and their accommodations, and mm-hmm. they drove out and back, picked up the kittens, and uh, we rescued them back and placed them into a qualified home. Wow. But that was an example of the mother falsifying the adoption information. And when I phoned her, You probably know, Marie, that the shelters don't give out confidential information of the people that took the animal into the shelter, but Mm -hmm. because we did the adoption and the microchip and everything was registered to us, we had the name and the phone number. Mm -hmm. So she was quite surprised when I phoned her and knew that they had been turned into the animal shelter and were to be killed. She claimed that the shelter had told her many, many times that these were cute orange kittens, five-month-old kittens. and Orange would, of course, get through, mm-hmm. and she shouldn't worry. And when I explained that to the um, rescue coordinator at the shelter, she said the woman signed the documents. We do not call people when we make the decision to euthanize. they signed over the animals, and even though they're their nicest animals, those people turn their animals into a high-kill shelter.
1: Right, and when you turn an animal into an animal shelter, when you relinquish your own pet. You sign a document that states you understand your pet may be euthanized. That's correct. If you don't sign it, you can't turn over your pet. So she was aware.
0: Yes, but um, according to uh, family, the office staff at the front, and I hear this all the time, The office staff is sweet and nice and cordial and says how lovely your animal is and Mm -hmm. consoles them. Oh, orange kittens, of course, will get through. Mm -hmm. And we hear this all the time with the Irvine Animal Shelter, believing that it is no kill. The Irvine Animal Shelter is not no kill. In fact, their advertising says clearly, beautiful, pro-humane animal shelter. The public doesn't know the terms. Pro-humane is a kill facility.
1: Well, pro humane means that there is euthanasia, but yes. it isn't a high euthanasia number when you compare it with a county shelter where, where, where they specifically are, are looking at the time, you know, an animal comes in, it has a certain amount of time for the owner to redeem it. If the owner doesn't come and if it's not deemed adoptable, it's immediately euthanized. And it, it could be deemed not adoptable if there's not enough space.
0: Well, the, uh, the one thing you're forgetting, Marie, is that the state law of California operates in all those shelters. So if people are believing that kittens will, are, are ready to go to their new homes at eight, at six weeks, as soon as they start eating this is a common mistake Mm -hmm. they turn those animals into the animal shelter but the state law mandates that all animals have to be over two pounds and so they are not protected so kittens of six weeks of age that are turned into even the most beautiful shelters Are not protected under the state law of California. That's eh?
1: why many shelters have fostering programs and encourage volunteers to come in and and take animals out and foster them until they're able. And that's something that I really encourage and support for our listeners. If you're out there and you want to help the overcrowded city and county shelters, please volunteer because they need as much help. As they can get.
0: Yes, and don't forget rescues, but unfortunately everyone will tell you that there is not enough volunteer help. That's mm-hmm. why these animals are put to death.
1: And it's very sad, and, and actually it all boils down to spaying and neutering, and I yes. can't remind everybody out there enough that if you have a pet and it has not been spayed or neutered, please take care of that. Every litter makes a difference. And you have to be responsible. There just are not enough homes for all the pets that are born every year.
0: Absolutely. And when we get, we were speaking earlier about young people. The uh, Craigslist, we, when when we get the phone calls, a lot of people on Craigslist are young people getting free animals, mm-hmm. and they haven't considered their living space, if they can have a pet. They haven't considered spay-neuter, and they didn't know that kittens can become pregnant at five months old. Yeah. So the majority of our calls from people that are not aware of these facts, That's right. uh, and they cannot afford it, and they can't afford the pet deposit, and then they sneak an animal in, and they get
1: caught. Right, and then they're stuck. Diana, thank you so oh, thank much. thank you. This has been such great information. I've enjoyed chatting with you today, and I wish you much success with all that you do.
0: Thank you, Marie.
1: It's time now for our halftime break, but when we return, Mary Ann Dale will be weighing in on abusive dog training techniques that are prevalent in many dog training circles and TV shows. So don't go away, and we'll be right back with more Pet Place Radio here on Retro 1260. on the Pet Place Radio Show with Ann Dell, pet columnist for the Orange County Register, Shamrock Foundation rescue volunteer, and highly respected dog, dog trainer and evaluator. Welcome back, Marianne. Hi,
2: Marie. Good to be here, as always.
1: And I know you're in the middle of a lot of things today, so I want to thank you for carving out a little time for us.
2: Of course. It's always a pleasure, too.
1: And you have some books today that also deal with training, and I'm real excited to to hear all about these.
2: I do. The um, uh, first one I have doesn't really have to do with training, although there's some training aspects in the story. It's just a wonderful little story. It's called Guinea Dog.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
2: by Patrick Jennings, and it's for young adults. Um all fifth grader Rufus has ever wanted is a dog, and he's the narrator of this story. But Rufus's dad, who works at home and is very fastidious, has put his foot down. Oh. No dogs, ever. Oh, They no. make a mess, they poop, they pee, you have to clean up after them. All those good arguments that parents frequently make mm-hmm. when children want dogs. But Rufus's mom, who feels bad for her son, has an idea, so she gets him a pet. It's not a dog. It's a guinea pig. Ooh. And uh, Rufus is pretty dismayed over this whole thing, but he accepts the little critter and uh, reluctantly accepts her and names her Fido because that's what he was going to name his dog. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, Fido may be a guinea pig in body, but she is a dog in spirit.
1: Oh, how cute.
2: (laughs) (laughs) She fetches, she rolls over, she stays, she sits on cue, And Rufus comes to learn that maybe you don't always get what you want, but sometimes you do get what you need. And Fido turns out to be just a really cool pet. Mm -hmm. And the thing I like about this book is, Maybe parents, if if they see this and read it, will consider, you know, dogs and cats are a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. Guinea pigs are also a responsibility, but they're a little easier to contain and care for.
1: Yeah, it's a little stepping stone, too, to work your way up to the responsibility of having a dog or a cat later on.
2: Absolutely. If you can't take care of a guinea pig or a hamster or a small pet such as those, then really you're not going to be able to take care of a dog.
1: That's right. And And it's a shorter commitment, too. It is. A little sadder, though, because then you have to deal with the end of life issues a lot sooner than you would have hoped for. And and that's always difficult. But still, all in all, I think starting out with a guinea pig or a similar smaller pet is a really good idea.
2: I agree. I agree. So, really cute book, and it's just a fun read.
1: Wow. Well, thank you for that one. Alrighty. And, And then you have one called Dogs We Love.
2: Yes, this is edited by Michael J. Rosen, and it's for adults, but younger readers who enjoy dogs will like this one, and they'll also like the next one, too. Okay. Um, this is a compilation from well-known writers, uh, including people we know write about dogs like Meryl Marko and novelists like Armistead Maupin and James Smiley.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, Rosen starts by talking about his childhood dog, Freckles, who became a bit of a local celebrity by following the mailman everywhere he went. (laughs) And uh, Daniel Pinkwater, who's an author I just discovered recently, uh, talks about how enlightening it is and how life-fulfilling it is to just take walks with his shepherd mix. And there's all these little lessons in here about how people are affected by their dogs and how their dogs brighten and enlighten and bring joy to their lives. And it's a really nice read for someone who is wondering what is all this
0: fuss about dogs about anyway.
1: Yeah, someone who's never had a dog in their life. Mm-hmm. I, every now and then I meet somebody who's in their 30s and 40s and, and they've never had a dog and, and they just don't get it. <laughs> it yeah. always amazes me.
2: Yeah, me too. Um, but, it, but they're out there. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah.
1: And I think think everybody should have a dog or a cat.
2: (laughs) I agree, or at least a guinea pig. Yeah,
1: and there are plenty to go around in shelters.
2: Yes, there are. Dogs,
1: cats, and guinea pigs.
2: Yes, there are, most certainly. And then my next book is A Dog's Wisdom, A Heartwarming View of Life by Margaret Bonham. And this is another compilation book. This is written by Bonham, and she uses photos of several dogs to highlight a dog's view of life. And the cool thing about this is it really highlights all those lessons we can learn from our dogs. Mhm. Like live in the moment. Life really is here to be enjoyed. So yeah. enjoy it. Absolutely. Go get yourself a treat and then have a nice nap if you're stressed out, and if not go play
1: in the sun. Regardless of what comes your way, you know, my um my daughter Danielle works at the Irvine Animal Shelter and she was telling me about a dog that had to have its leg amputated. And the very next day, it was wagging his tail and wanting to play, and it was really no big deal, and he was ready to enjoy life.
2: They are amazing. People who follow me know about my little dog, Jitterbug, who had no use of her back legs when I found her, and that didn't stop her a bit from dragging herself around with her front legs and just wagging her tail at everyone she saw.
1: She's a happy girl.
2: Very much so, and (laughs) it's amazing how dogs can recover. And I know I've learned the lesson of, If it doesn't hurt,
1: don't worry about it. Yeah, there you go.
2: Yep. Yep. So a dog's wisdom is a very true thing.
1: Now, I was talking to Gary Liken a few days ago, and and for those of you who don't know, Gary Liken is our uh, president of the Pet Place um, nonprofit organization, also the uh, executive producer of our TV show, And he said that you had some powerful opinions about the use of abusive techniques in training, and I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that.
2: Okay, yes, I do. (laughs) As a trainer who uses positive reinforcement, reinforcing what we like, and negative punishment, to throw another technical term out there, which is ignoring what we don't like, I'm very concerned over the increase in the use of punishment you know there are some TV shows out there that advocate it and people watch these and see what appears to be a very quick fix for problem dogs Mm -hmm. and what they don't see because of course the TV show is only an hour long and it has to be edited for space and it has to be edited for content is what often is the aftermath of using punishment things such as choke chains prong collars, shock collars even just a firm no or yelling at your dog or your cat can is a form of punishment. And what happens when we use punishment is we really undermine our relationship with our pets. Punishment can be an effective tool in the right hands, and the problem with it is very, very few people, including some dog trainers, don't know how to use it effectively. Their timing isn't good enough to administer the punishment exactly when it needs to be to make it very clear to the animal that this particular thing you did is what I am punishing you for. And what ends up happening is animals get very mixed signals. And often behavior that is aggressive, which is what people frequently bow to punishments to use,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: is based in fear. And so if you take a dog, for instance, reacting to something fearful something it's afraid of, another dog, a person it it has never been socialized to, and the dog barks or growls, and you mete out some punishment. Let's say you um, have just taken it to the nth degree and you have a shock collar on the dog, Mm -hmm. and the dog growls at someone who comes in your house, and you zap it with that shock collar. Well, a couple things happen. The dog loses some relationship bonding with the person who's meted out that punishment if he if he is clear on the fact that the owner is doing it okay. the dog associates the pain of the punishment with the person coming into the house mm-hmm. now how does that make the dog lessen its fear of that person it doesn't it increases it right and what quite often happens is if you punish a dog for growling and i always like to remind people that no one has ever, in the history of our relationship with dogs, been the least bit injured by a growling dog.
0: Mm-hmm. A
2: growl is a very effective warning saying, I'm concerned about what's going on right now. And if we respect that warning, the dog will not likely never do anything beyond growling.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Excuse me. But when we punish it for growling, what's likely to happen is the dog is going to suppress the growl and it's going to escalate to something worse, perhaps a snarl or a lunge or even a bite.
1: So what I'm, what I'm what's the alternative then for, for people out there who are saying, okay, I, I'll, I'll do something else, but what okay. should I do?
2: The alternative is, as I talked about earlier, to reward good behavior, ignore bad behavior, or create an alternative behavior or an alternative attitude on the dog's part. If, people, if someone come, new people come in the house, have them toss treats to the dog. If you do this, the dog will create a new association with things that it previously feared and will come around to actually look forward to them because they bring good things. Okay. I don't think it's a bad thing that Fly barks vociferously when somebody he doesn't know comes to the door. Um,
1: because that alerts you?
2: It alerts me, and it also alerts the person that, hey, a dog lives here, and I'm not paranoid, and I certainly do not have my dogs as guard dogs,
0: mm-hmm. but
2: in this day and age, living where we do, in a relatively high crime area of the country, I rather like the idea that if there happen to be people going around, casing my neighborhood, they're going to go to the house next door that doesn't have a big, moving <laughs> dog bark coming from it. But it's it's all a matter of what we call counter-conditioning and desensitizing, we're conditioning the dog to have a different association with something, and we're also desensitizing it so it isn't so sensitive and reactive to that thing it's concerned about.
1: Well, let me ask you about problem barking. Let's say somebody's received a notice from animal control saying that they are potentially going to have to head to court if they don't get their dog quiet, so they they get advised that they should use a shop collar. What would you tell them to do?
2: Barking has a lot of different causes, and if we can determine why our dog is barking, that can be one way to help mitigate the problem. A lot of dogs alarm bark, and people who leave their dogs in the backyard when they leave for the day to go to work are frequently prone to having this type of situation occur. Um, I would suggest for those people, find a way to leave your dog in the house. A dog barking inside the house is generally not going to elicit those kinds of complaints from the neighbors. And if you have a lot of people coming and going, this is a simple and very effective way to get rid of that problem without doing anything to harm the dog. If your dog is bored, which is another reason why dogs bark, they're basically out there saying, hey, someone come and keep me company. Mm -hmm. Then there are ways to create enrichment for for dogs. We can get a wading pool and fill it with dirt and bury all kinds of good stuff in there. Oh, toys, great idea. Kongs <laughs> filled with food. uh uh-huh. And teach the dog to go find things in there. Dogs love to use their noses to find
1: things. Yeah, and they need some, some interactive activities to do, especially if they're going to be home alone all day and bored.
2: Absolutely. People with children can certainly relate to this because they know if they just shove the kids out in the backyard to play, the kids might go swing on the swing set for 10 or 15 minutes, and then they'll be knocking at the door saying, Mommy, I'm bored. I
1: need something to do. Exactly.
2: Dogs are no different.
1: They're smart, mm-hmm. smart little beings, and they need something out there. They need something to do, and they need to be with people, too. They, That's right. And I've animals.
2: Found, I found that dogs that stay in the house where there's less stimulation for them tend to spend the day sleeping.
1: Yeah. Dogs,
2: dogs sleep. Dogs are great with this too. They sleep average of 20 hours a day <laughs> at least. And I know my pack does not play with each other when I'm gone. They simply zone out. Yeah. <laughs> and wake up and are ready to go when I come home. I would like to tell listeners about a website that has some really wonderful position papers on the use of punishment and the use of dominance theory, which mm-hmm. is a whole, which is a theory that is often paired with the use of punishment, this idea that dogs are always scrambling to be at the head of the pack, mm-hmm. which really is not true.
0: Okay.
2: It's the website of the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, and this is a group of veterinarians who have gone on to specialize and get further education in behavior, and also psychologists, psychiatrists, and other people who are interested in behavior and interested in working with animals or people who have animals.
1: Okay, and what is that website?
2: It's www.azsabonline.org. and that's A-V like veterinarian, S like Sam, A-B like boy. Okay. And there's some wonderful information out there that people can look at. There's uh, links to other sites. I would encourage people to search for a veterinary behaviorist named Sophia Yin, Y I N, excuse me, who is in Northern California and she has written some wonderful books and articles uh, and speaks at quite a few places about behavior and about modifying behavior humanely.
1: Wonderful, Marianne. I always appreciate your viewpoints on issues like these, and I want to thank you again for chatting with us this morning. You
2: are very welcome, Marie. That's we always need- got to.
1: <laughs> oh, very good. We need to take our last break now, but don't go away because when we return, I've got pet place news and events coming right up on Retro 1260. on the Pet Place radio show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Well, this is it. The big day has arrived for the Irvine Animal Care Center's Spring Super Adoption Event. Today from 9:30 a.m. to 5 p.m., come meet Snoopy from the Peanuts Gang and over 600 adoptable pets from shelters and rescues all over Southern California that will be available for viewing and adoption. In addition, there will be vendors and exhibits, live music, demonstrations, prize drawings, contests, pet photography, and Ask the Vet booth, low-cost microchipping, kids' games, face painting, presentation of the Humane Kid Award, food refreshments, bake sale, and Ask the Trainer booth, and so much more. Visit www.irvineshelter.org for more information. Remember, that's... Today. And don't forget to visit our newly renovated website at www.petplace.org. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home too. We'll be back next weekend here on Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please stay new to your pets and have a wonderful day. <laughs>